How good is it I get to do a gardening talk back with uh, Scotty Sharp? Scott, I haven't seen you for a while, mate. How are you? Yeah, oh, pretty well. Second one, second last one for the year, and you get to have a chance. Just that one turn. <laughs> one chance out of reserve grade. All right, mate, a big uh, program today. Uh, what are some of the things we're looking at today? Well, I've wanted to talk about agapanthus there out and about at the moment. You'd feel a bit uh, edgy if you're an agapanthus because the flowers mm. are out, always waiting to get that uh, that head knocked off. Uh, New South Wales Christmas bush always uh, out at the moment, so we'll talk about those, growing them in pots as well and purple fountain grass. Scotty, straight into the phones today. Uh, good afternoon, Tom and Aberglass. And you've got a choco question for Scotty today. Yes, I have a, a brown thumb when it comes to growing chocos. I've tried growing them in the ground, unsuccessful. This time I'll put it in a large pot. It's grown to about two metres high, but I don't know, it was because of the heat the other day. It's under a little bit of shelter. Uh, the leaves have sort of wilted or, or burnt um, and I just was weeding underneath the crepe myrtle and I've noticed I've got sort of a white scaly or fungi looking thing on the leaves of that which is nearby. Is it a disease sort of thing I've got? It sounds, Tom, like you've got a, a little bit of both there. Uh, you must have a brown thumb, thumb, mate, if you can't grow the choco. But, uh, you know, not casting aspersions there. <laughs> so I thought they were just the easiest thing to grow. You stick them in the ground and off they go. But uh, Look, if you've got some success in a pot, that's fantastic. I, I reckon, though, if you can't get it to grow in, a ground, in the ground, there must be, uh, you know, some reason there. Some, you know, might be too acidic, might be too alkaline. Uh, for the plant, uh, so there, there might be just something situational that you, you can't grow it in the in the particular spot you're trying to grow it because usually they just take off and you know take over people's sheds and fences and houses. If your small child stands still <laughs> yeah. for too long, they'll take over as well. But yeah, look, you've done the right thing. You've got it growing in a pot. I would think what's happened with the the wind and the heat the other day uh, that it has just dried out, and that's why you're seeing the brown tips on the leaves of the plant. Uh, look, we've got to remember that uh, the chocos come from, you know, South America, from Colombia, uh, and so they're used to that, you know, you know, wet, uh, you know, almost subtropical uh, climate. So we're we're trying to grow them here in in Australia. It's a little bit drier, you know, less humid, uh, but they still do grow very well. Uh, I would suggest just keep on watering it, uh, mate. Uh, I, I think it'll come back for you uh, in the pot, but you just have to make sure it's really well watered. If it's a, a pot that you can get a saucer under, I, I wouldn't be against doing that as well with your with your plant, uh, just to keep it uh, you know alive uh, and soaking up moisture when it gets really uh, you know windy, especially that that's going to be the main thing for you. Right, and will I cut those leaves off or just leave them sort of yeah. they're they're half burnt sort of thing? Yeah, look, I'd, I'd actually just leave them because uh, yeah. the, the, the part of the leaf that's not burnt is still going to do the job for you. Now, right. as uh, you mentioned, you, you create myrtle as well. You've found some sort of white powdery. Was that how would you describe it, uh, white powdery? Uh, yeah, sort of a dust. I've got it on a fuchsia as well. I've got a fuchsia in, uh, in, in, a ba- in baskets, mm-hmm. and I've got it on that, and it's sort of like it's killing the, you know, what a fuchsia's got a tissue sort of, you know, feel sort of thing. Well, it's dying, killing that as well. Yeah, so it, it, yeah. it sounds like you've got powdery mildew in that case, and uh, wow. both, both fuchsias and crepe myrtles are renowned for getting, uh, you know, getting that powdery mildew. You're going to need a fungicide of some sort. Uh, look, right. there's uh, either copper oxychloride, there's mancozeb plus. Uh, yes, they're, yes. they're both fungicides, so you'll need to mix up some of that and spray it all over the plant, uh, in under the leaves as well. And yeah. if you can, drench the, the soil in around the plant as well. Right. 
right. Okay, thanks very much for your help. Great. Thank you very much, Tom. Yeah, thank you very much, Tom. Scotty, you mentioned that um, there could have been all of that could have been from the fact we had that warmer and windy weather the other day. Are there any other plants that, that we have a lot of here in the Hunter that could get caught up in that as well, that, that very quick and sudden change of climate? Yeah, look, I, I guess the, plant, the plants that are going to, uh, you know, really be affected in that uh, regard are, you know, those softer vascular mm. plants, uh, hydrangeas, for instance, those sort of plants where you notice them wilt very quickly. Uh, they're not tough and, and hardened against that. So, uh, yeah, look, you know, almost plants that we've taken, you know, uh, like uh, peace lilies, you know, we, we have those in shady areas, but then we, you know, we in the modern garden, we try and move different things around. So those vascular plants are, are really going to suffer when we get the low humidity and the wind. Mm, I also love how you said that when Tom started that, oh, he should be easily be able to grow them. And then you sort of made up a heap of reasons why he might not. Oh, they're from South America. So the, the fact you had a better each did not go unnoticed. Well, I want to tear him down and build him back up again to make him feel good about himself. Fair enough. Heading to Mayfield now. Graham, uh, you're on with Scotty and you've got some issues there for you. Hey, Graham, how can we help you? G'day, Scotty. Uh, You've helped me a few times so far. So this time I'm looking at actually agapanthers I want some information on. Yes, excellent. Okay, uh, we were going to talk about uh, some agapanthus today Cross as that well. that one off the list. Yeah, oh. <laughs> well, lots of different varieties. What, what did you want to find out about them, Graham? Well, we've noticed that there's several different varieties, and my wife is looking for the white flower, but she does like the broader, darker leaf. Is that uh, an option? Or we've noticed that some of the white flowers, they have the narrower, uh, lighter green leaf. Yeah, so... Look- oh, stem. Yes, yeah, so there there are just your normal white and purple ones that you get with the broader green leaf. Uh, what's become more popular, though, over time are the dwarf varieties because they don't get that... Oh, how would you describe... You know when agapanthus start to get a bit old, they almost rise up out of the ground and you yes. see the rhizome a little bit more? And, and the dwarf yeah. ones don't seem to do that as much. Uh, you know, they're also much shorter. You can put them in, a, you know, more of a mass planting situation and then have a larger plant in behind, and they just don't seem to take over. So you might well, be seeing... Plan- oh, sorry, we're planning to use them like a, a pitch, uh, run along the edge of my fence, you know, that, that horrible bit of um, nature strip that nothing happens on. We plan to run it along my side fence. So how, how t- and how tall do you want the plant to get to? Well, we've noticed that the, the the larger ones they're they're ideal. They they what do they work out about five six hundred high? Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. Yes. So that that's ideally that's what we want. And we, I just wanted to clarify with you about the flower colour. So we can get the broad leaf in the white flower. Yes, you certainly can. Yeah. Now, how far apart should we plant these? We're looking at getting the real the eighty the eighty mil by fifty mil. Saplings, for want of a better word. Yeah, that's fine, yep. Uh, and we're thinking about four, about 300 apart. Is yeah, that- I, I'm just doing, doing the old hand thing here as well. And I, I'm thinking if you put them about, you know, each one over about a year or 18 months is going to have spread out. Uh, you know, until it's about half a metre clump, I would say. So if you were planting them, you know, 400, 500 mil apart, uh, you know, pretty quickly, you know, within that year to 18 months, you're going to have a nice clump and the, the ground will be covered for you. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, yes, that's exactly. I'm, I'm glad it's on point with what you're talking about today because <laughs> I was thinking we're going to go through and explain this whole thing again. Yeah. But no, we just wanted the white flower comes on the broad leaf and how far apart to plant 
Okay, yep, you'll be fine doing that. And look, there are other dwarf varieties if you want to. There's, uh, you know, Snowball, Snowstorm. They only stay very low. And again, I'm doing the hand thing here. And I often ask yeah. Greg to help me out. And now I guess Mark is going to help me out oh, I'd here. say about, what, um, 20 centimetres 20 centimetres, yeah. yeah. They'll get about 20 centimetres high. And with a much smaller flower stalk on there, I'm doing the hand thing again. But that's bigger. That's about that's about a meet, uh, 30 centimetres Well, there. yeah, the flower stalk's right. bigger. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mark and I'll argue about this later on, about, <laughs> about his <laughs> estimate. <laughs> so the dwarf I'm ones... I'm just going on what I see, Scotty. I mean, you're the one that's making these... <laughs> the hand you know, gestures. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but the, the dwarf, the dwarf ones are really nice as a low border. Then you might plant him behind them. But if you, yeah. there are other ones called Black Panther, which has a very dark, dark purple flower in it, but it is the larger growing variety. But mate, if you're after the white ones, they're out there and about, uh, and they'll make a really nice, uh, easy plant to look after as a border and take uh, you know the full western sun as well. Yes, excellent. All right, okay. thank you very much, Scotty. Again, you're Come through for us. Okay, great. Thanks for that, Graham. Cheers. <laughs> yeah, nice work, Graham and Tom and Scotty. Just keep those hands gestures right. I can only call what I see, oh, not what I think that you're thinking, all right? Greg has his laser level out. He gets it right every time. It was 20 centimetres and 30. A little okay. bit more of gardening talk back. Good afternoon to you, John. Uh, John at Tingara Heights, you've got some worm problems in the tomatoes. Yeah, I know. well, I think it's called a uh, hook run. Yeah, what's, what's going on with your tomatoes, John? Yeah, well, I think I've got a what they call a hook grub in them, a right. horn grub, a horn grub, I mean. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, well, look, there's a couple of different ones. You can get the little, um, there's the horn worm, um, which is like a big caterpillar, uh, and then you get the, the hook grub, and that's the one that sort of goes along and does the funny thing, it arches up its back. Um, but, look, the, the control for both of them is, is going to be similar. Uh, are you dusting your tomato plants, mate? Yeah. 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 So that's all. That's always a good first line of defence. Um, using uh, your, your dust to keep, because what happens is the moth comes down and actually lays the egg. And if you've got the dust on there, the moth doesn't like that. Uh, lands there, it actually you know sends it away to heaven as well. Uh, so the your dusting's always a first uh, port of call. Then, it, unfortunately, if you do get the uh, you know those eggs have hatched and you do get the hookworm or the hornworm, that's the big fat one. Uh, you do need to go and spray. Then you can try some pyrethrum. It's a nice natural one to use. See if that goes. Uh, there's also Dipel, which is a bio-insecticide, uh, which keeps grubs under control. And that one's called Dipel. Uh, the, the hornworm, though, that's the, the really big, fat, ugly caterpillar. It does turn into a beautiful moth, uh, as most caterpillars and things turn into, something beautiful. So. Sounds like a children's book, Scotty, I'm reading. <laughs> it does, it does. The, look, the other way to do it, and I always just say, you know, if you've got the time and you have got the big, fat ones on there, the big black ones, the big green ones, get out there with a pair of scissors, cut them in half. Uh, job done really quickly. I know you're looking at me, Mark, as if uh, it's not a nice thing. It might be quicker to get rid of your grubs that way. Yeah. Yeah, but... Uh, pyrethrum, if I want to spray them. Yeah, give the pyrethrum a spray. That that should knock them down. Uh, but most certainly the dusting is a, a very important thing to keep uh, to keep on top of if it rains, uh, you know, you need to dust again. Uh, even, you know, just every week you just need to dust uh, because it just naturally wears away. So, yeah, dusting and the pyrethrum spray to keep your, uh, the grubs and caterpillars under control. Thank you very much uh, for that, John. Scotty, is that something we could be expecting at this time of year or, or uh, is it just par for the course? Look, it's par for the course.
for the course, but the the tomatoes are particularly tasty to caterpillars mm. and grubs. And the, the hookworm, it's very difficult to see. That's the little one that, as it goes along, it puts up its back. Very difficult to see that one. Uh, you also get the you know the cabbage, um, not this time of year, but the, you know the cabbage moth is another difficult uh, grub to keep under control. The the big one, the big fat ones, even though they are so big. And, and fat and ornery and ugly, you think, oh, I'm going to see those. I mean, if I showed you a picture of one, you know, they're fairly ugly and big, and you think, oh, I'm going to see them really easily. But their camouflage system is, is amazing. So it's not until you actually get in there and start manhandling the plant and turning the leaves over and go, oh, there's one there. And that's why I say just either pick it off and, you know, toss it to the magpies or give it the <laughs> snip with a pair of scissors. Sometimes it's just the quickest and easiest way to get them off the plant. So when you are FM 103.7, Mark filling in for uh, Greg, who was uh, filling in for Kev a little bit later on. And that, of course, means Scotty Sharp a little bit nervous. You've a different person looking after you today. Mate, so you, you seem to be okay. I, it was sprung on me though. I walked in here. You didn't tell me. Otherwise, I might have might have freaked out a little bit. Yeah, a little bit nervous, out. but it's all good. We're going well so far. Well so far. Plenty of time to go. Heading back to the phones right now. And Sue at Cessnock, uh, you've got a question about African violets for Scotty today. Hello, yes. Sue. How can we help? Hi. Um, I've got two African violet plants, but one is a really big leaf. And the other one is a real dainty little leaf. Yes. But, um, and they're on my windowsill, but the one that has got the really big leaf, it's got all these black spots all over it. Um, and I thought they might have been aphids. I wasn't sure. But when I Googled it, it, um, it said to make a mixture of water and... Um, a dishwashing detergent and spray on it, but I thought you weren't supposed to wet the leaves of the African violet. Yeah, look, that 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 is something you're not meant to do. Uh, but it sounds like you've got some sort of mite uh, on there, and that's why whenever you Googled it, they've been recommending. Uh, you use that dishwashing detergent because it, right. it sort of chokes the mite off. Look, there are other okay. products that are probably going to be a little bit better for you than you know just mixing okay. up. The, yeah, I'd grab uh-huh. a product called Eco Oil. It's uh, a, a nice, safe product to use. It's specifically uh, there to keep mites under control. Um, right. But when you've got the situation like that, yes, it is okay just to spray the leaf of the African violet. Otherwise, it's just going to get worse and worse for you and probably spread onto right. the one next door. Yeah, it hasn't gotten onto the one next door, but now I've separated them. Mm, yes, very good. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. And African violets are surprisingly tough. I've got one out the front of my place on the front step. I took them from the office, uh, two of them, and I just got them, plonked them on the front step, and they're still there. They're doing really well. They get a little bit of cover from from some succulents that are nearby, uh, but they are tougher than you think. Uh, I remember uh, my old mother. Um, Judy, um, she used to feed them tea, weak tea, and uh, but I, you know, I think that was more or less, you know, just for some fertilizer for them. Um, yeah, I give mine tea. Yeah, so that, that yeah. I mean, that that's sort of you know the old wives' tale sort of thing, but it, it certainly works for them. So um, yeah. yeah, it's a good way just to give them some fertilizer. But they do like those, uh, you know, darker conditions, the shadier conditions. Uh, mine are outside, but they're on the south side of the house. They've survived in the winter. They acclimatise. So, yeah, look, uh, uh, even though people think they're fragile, uh, I think they're a little bit tougher um, than they're made out to be. So if you have to spray yours, uh, you know, once or twice over the leaves, feel free to do that. I don't think you're going to do any harm. Okay. All right. Because it, it, 
still is flowering and looking beautiful, and the leaves are really big, but it's got all this black stuff all over it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So look, and unfortunately, those leaves once they're damaged like that, they if it's, it is mite, they won't come back and repair themselves. So you just have to wait till the new growth comes through, and then pick off some of those older leaves over time. But um, yeah, don't, don't sort of prune them off now because they're still doing the mm-hmm. job for you, and you know, okay. obviously, your plant's still flowering and looking nice. So keep them on there, uh, and as the new growth comes through, just start to pick off those older leaves. Okay. Then. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for the call, Sue. Thank you very much, Sue. Well, Scotty, a little bit of a gunning tour back to go, so we might see if we can get through a couple of topics shortly. Uh, a couple you'll be highlighting before one o'clock. Ah, yeah, I was going to uh, talk to you about New South Wales Christmas bush, about growing it in a pot as well, because mm-hmm. they can be a little bit difficult to go grow in the ground. And I was going to talk also about purple fountain grass. Scotty Sharp is here. You're a second to last appearance for 2020. Yeah, there's a word for that. It's what, second to last? No, penultimate. Okay, fair enough. There we go. I've got you. We've learned two things today. So, uh, mate, next week, big show. What Have you got anything planned so far for the final one? Well, hopefully we'll do a bit of a, a Christmas special. People can ring in and just give us Christmas presents. That's that's the way we like to roll. I uh, shouldn't have asked, should I? No. <laughs> All right. Uh, we, we have got uh, some uh, things we're talking about this week. Uh, next item on the list, Scotty. Is going to be New South Wales Christmas bush. Sarah Petlam. It's, it's a, quite a common sight around Newcastle, mm-hmm. especially up at Port Stephens. Uh, you see them a lot up there around Tomaree. And, and the reason they do so well up there is because of the sandy soil. Uh, and as, as listeners know, whenever people call in from, you know, Salamander, you know, all, all of those Port Stephens areas, we always immediately go to, oh, you've got sandy soil. Yeah. <laughs> call it. You know, you're going to have troubles growing certain plants up mm-hmm. there. Uh, but the New South Wales Christmas bush loves it up there. It's like a weed almost. It's almost an official sounding title, isn't it? It's almost like a government department has issued this. Yes, yeah, but but the thing is that people love it at this time of mm. year because the flowers are so beautiful, and you get so many off them uh, off the tree. You you know you go into your florist, you'll always find it at this time of year to buy. Uh, but it is uh, you know actually an easy plant to grow. It's a native, um, so no difficulties there. The problem people do have, though, is that they'll try and grow them in a wet spot or not out in the full sun or in a, in a clay soil. So in here, you know, in the city, around Merriweather, up on the hill, a lot of clay up there. You're going to have a lot of difficulty growing a New South Wales Christmas bush. You might have, a, you know, more luck down around Hamilton South where it's more sandy and, and the water drains away from it. But there are ways you, you can counter that, uh, and that is by building up a, a bit of a mound to give the plant, you know, some drain away from it, digging in the soil, uh, you know, before you actually plant and getting some gypsum in there, uh, even mixing some lighter material in there, some sandier type material into the soil to help that drainage away. And it can be as simple as having, uh, uh, you know, if you've got it on the side of a hill, actually having a little drainage channel dug away from the root system of the plant so that gravity takes that water away from it and it's not sitting there getting wet feet if it does rain heavily. But the mounding up of soil is a really good way to do it. Now, the other way you can plant uh, and grow the uh, Christmas bush is by uh, putting it into a pot, into a large pot, Uh, because if you have it in the ground, it can turn into quite a large plant, you know, four to five metres tall. Um, can't be too big for some people. But if you keep it in a pot, you can keep it nicely pruned, uh, have it in a native mix. It's well drained. You don't have a saucer of water under there. Uh, you just have to be a bit careful about your fertilising, uh, only using native safe fertilisers. Uh, so, yeah, if you if you want, and you'll get plenty of flowers off that if it's in a pot as well. 
you know, enough to take inside and make the uh, the Christmas mm. table look very, very festive. Uh, so, yeah, New South Wales Christmas bush uh, in a pot or in the ground. If you've got the space, make sure it's a well-drained uh, position you're putting into and full sun. Glad that you've come back full circle there. I mentioned if you have the space because you mentioned all, also what four or five metres on that. Yes, yeah. it can get quite big. The great thing about it, though, is that even though it's tall, it doesn't necessarily spread out too wide. So it's not, uh, you know, it doesn't have a great big canopy. Uh, I could do the hand thing again if you want. Arms um, stretch out wide. That's yeah, what you need that to know. Wide. I could say from that wall there to the end of that counter, and Mark would immediately come back with a measurement for me. <laughs> he could. He could. I, I, look, I would say, you know, a spread of probably four metres. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, and, and so it's going to get quite, no, that's too big, isn't it? I, I would say about three metres yeah. wide and four to five metres tall. So, yeah, look, a nice compact tree if you've got the space. It's certainly not a jacaranda that's going to spread out and take over your garden and drop leaves and flowers and, uh, you know, make a real mess around the garden. To NURFM 103.7, wrapping up with gardening talk back and Scotty, something that we're probably all noticing at the moment, those no good minor birds. I know, look, I wasn't going to talk about it, but I've been getting angrier and angrier about it the last, well, last hour, really. Sure. Uh, they're, they're nasty. They're nasty things. Uh, how do we control them in the garden? I mean, they they come in. I was walking back home the other morning and there's some beautiful little lorikeet and rosella things and they had them. Five of them had this lorikeet down on the ground attacking them, but they get into the garden, they chase all your neighbors birds away uh, and you really want them in the garden they make yeah. a beautiful thing uh, look I think the best way to keep them under control is if you've got food scraps or you're feeding your dog outside make sure you don't leave food uh, out there because they love coming down there for that uh, even if you've got tomatoes and things on the vine they'll come down and attack those so netting is always really important they are a clever bird so make sure it's staked right down to the ground uh, look there are traps you can get out there um, to get rid of them Probably not a bad idea just to try and keep them under control, but they they do learn. And maybe even next week we might, if people have got some you know good ideas for traps, they can call in and tell us about it because I'm cranky about them. All right, if that's uh, something that is uh, on your mind at your place and in your garden, next week with Scotty Sharp, we'll be back with the final gardening talkback for 2020. Mate, we survived this one, so I'll let you get off back out into the big wide world. Okay, we'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.